Good morning, everyone. Happy Thursday, and welcome to the third episode of I Take Bravo Very Seriously, hosted by me, Dana Mandel, runner of the Instagram accounts Brunch and Bravo and I Take Bravo Very Seriously. I also run the TikTok account Brunch and Bravo. You can also subscribe to my YouTube channel, I Take Bravo Very Seriously. I'm so excited to get into the episode today. We have a lot of great stuff. Um, couple little housekeeping issues. I know there have been some sound issues with it being sort of loud and quiet at certain points. Um, I'm still just trying to figure that out within the audio recording system that I'm using. I'm also getting a new computer this week. Um, so I'm putting a lot of time and effort into this. I hope there's no sound issues in this episode, but if there is, I promise as of next week there won't be because I'll have uh, new equipment and I promise, promise, promise to have it sorted out by then. Um, I know some podcasters like to talk a little bit about their personal lives, so I'm just going to, you know, just to ease us into the episode for a dreary Thursday morning, dreary here in Toronto, um, I've just been dealing with so much with my poor little dog. Her name is Judith. She's a Pomeranian. I got her at the beginning of November. Um, she was a year and a half years old, and she wasn't spayed, and I brought her to get spayed mid-December. And the most insane thing happened after the spay, like I went to pick her up and she had this like big red purplish mark over her entire chest and stomach. Um, none of the vets knew what it was. They kept saying, oh, it's a bruise, it's a bruise. And then it got infected and was bleeding over um, the holidays and New Year's. And it was so insane and this poor thing. So then after New Year's, I took her back to the vet. They said she it was infected. Um, I ended up taking her to a different vet for like a second opinion and they said it was a burn wound. So basically she was burned during the spay. Um, I didn't know this, but apparently dogs' um, body temperature drops during the spay. So they put this warmer thing on them to keep them warm. But if it's too hot or it's burning them, the dog is under anesthesia. And Marie can explain a little bit more about that to us or not. And um, so she couldn't move. And so that's what happened. And I've been dealing with her healing for about six weeks now. Today I've finally been able to send her to daycare for the first time in six weeks, so I'm so happy she's finally healed. Um, it's been such an ordeal for the both of us, but I'm so, so happy she's finally better. Anyways, you guys, let's get into the episode. Name them. That what? Name them. Well, name what you did was ridiculous. Name them. Uh, not having... Name uh, well, be quiet. So name let em. me talk, Jesus! Okay, so this week we got a teaser for The Valley. So I don't know if you guys recall, um, I have brought it up before, there was an idea that in season eight of Vanderpump Rules, the show was supposed to transition into two shows, one being Vanderpump Rules and some of the cast would stay on that show, assuming the younger cast like Raquel, James, um, Dana, Danica, and those people. And then the ones who lived in the Valley would be on this spinoff show called Vanderpump Valley with sort of the older cast that no longer work at Sir. So like Stassi, Jax, Kristen, that kind of thing. Then COVID happened, all the firings happened, and the idea was dead in the water. 
I think the idea may have resurfaced during Scandal and just the interest that people had in seeing people like Jackson Brittany again. So the idea resurfaced and we got a teaser this week, not a trailer, but a teaser. So the teaser of the Valley um, basically has Jax riding like a little toy kid's car, dressed in a suit, wearing black gloves, driving around the neighborhood, waving to other couples around the neighborhood. And the other couples in the neighborhood are the couples that are on the show. And everyone is dressed up in sort of like to the nines, right? But they're taking out the garbage and and that kind of thing. So that's basically all we got of it. Um, To me, it felt very Jax Taylor focused. It is my understanding that the show was mostly his idea. And he is the one who is sort of transitioning the show from Vanderpump Rules to the Valley, which we'll talk about in a bit. But um, (sighs) he's not the number one guy in my group you know what I mean like and then the idea of wearing these sort of like flashy outfits it was giving a very desperate housewife sort of vibe driving around like wisteria lane which is actually where it was shot it was shot on the universal studios um and you know just waving waving to the camera um it just didn't give us a lot in terms of what this show is going to be what is it um, also, well, most people don't know the majority of the cast. So we know Jackson, Brittany, and we know Kristen, but we don't know the other couple. So there's Michelle and Jesse Lally. There is Nia Sanchez and her husband, Daniel Bucco or Bocco. Um, there's Janet and Jason Caperna. There's Jasmine Good, who you may recall from The Bachelor. She was on Nick Vile season, and I think she was on a season of Bachelor in Paradise. And Zach Wickham, who has made appearances on Vanderpump Rules. He's one of Brittany's best friends from Kentucky, and he's really close friends with Kristen as well. So because most of the cast are people that we don't know, it just didn't have that sort of kitschy vibe or intent that they were maybe trying for because nobody knows who these people are the outfits also seemed ill-fitting and i wonder if that was supposed to be on purpose supposed to be like oh these people still don't know what they're doing um there's also some interesting things that have come out about this that we are finding out so alex baskin who's the executive producer of vanderpump rules has said that the valley will premiere in episode eight of vanderpump rules so Jax will be having a sit down with tom sandoval and then he will walk into the valley And people have been talking about how iconic it is that they're going to be doing this because this is what they did with um, the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. There was that conversation between Sheena and Brandy, and then Sheena walks into the kitchen at Sir, and it transitions into Vanderpump Rules. How iconic. However, I just want to remind everyone that that's how Summer House happened as well. So in Season 5, Episode 10 of Vanderpump Rules, um, Stassi takes the girls to Montauk to... Um, hang out with the Workus twins, Carl, Kyle, Lindsay, all of those people for her birthday. And that episode was called Summer House Rules. And it transitioned us into the first episode of Summer House, which is amazing and iconic. I'm just saying it's not like it's never been done before. So based on Vanderpump Rules coming out next week being January 30th, and they're saying that this will happen in episode eight, that would make the premiere of the Valley March 19th. And guys, of course I will be covering it. Don't you worry. I'll obviously also be covering Vanderpump Rules. I also heard there'll be multiple crossover episodes, um, which is interesting. I do remember seeing Sheena and Lala filming with like Kristen and and, uh, Brittany, Janet, and those people over the summer. So that'll be sort of interesting. And I like the idea of having constant crossover because it kind of keeps people interested. 
some other interesting information that has sort of come out so far. Um, one of my great buds, Breaking the Rules Pod Amber, give her a listen at her podcast, Breaking the Rules Pod. She has been doing some deep dives into the valley, and she has noticed that Michelle Lally, so I mentioned that there's the couple Michelle Lally and Jesse Lally, Michelle Lally has not been wearing her ring for some time. And Amber's theory is that something happens during this series of the valley that leads to the demise of their relationship. We also know that Kristen and Janet are no longer friends. So I don't know if any of you know Janet Caperna. She used to co-host um, Sheena's podcast, Shenanigans. She's made little cameos here and there on VPR, but hasn't really had speaking roles. She considers herself a non-playable character, and she is one of my faves. Um, but I'm really excited to see her on the show. But she and Kristen are no longer friends. So that's also really interesting to see if something happens in this season of the valley it's also kind of sad to think that all of these relationships have possibly demised because of this show so if that happens i really hope for all of these people's sake that the show is successful so that they at least got something out of it um because that would be really sad to lose your friendships your relationships everything because of a show that didn't really work out um i could be wrong about this and i don't know where i saw it I think it was like an old episode of Kristen's podcast when she wasn't really allowed to still be talking about the Valley or wasn't allowed to be talking about it at all yet. She, I feel like she made this underhanded, like, under the breath comment, like, oh, that dumpster fire of a show we had, we did. So I don't know if she even thinks that the show is going to be successful. So I'm curious about that. Also, Max Boyens was on the show for a little. I do remember him filming in the summer and then he bailed saying something like, this is so boring. This is just about people and their kids and no one's going to care about this. So I am curious to see what comes of this. Obviously, I do hope it's successful. I mean, I love Vanderpump Rules, so anything related to it, I want more. Also, Lisa Vanderpump is executive producer. And I thought that that was really interesting considering... Her disdain for Jax, which, okay, maybe they've made up on the show because, you know, he does film for season 11 and maybe they make good, but she hates Kristen and Kristen has been pretty vocal about her disdain for Lisa and that she'll never come back to Vanderpump Rules. So it's interesting given that, that, um, that Lisa's the executive producer of this show, but I don't know. I have high hopes. I have even less hope for Vanderpump Villa, which is Lisa's other spin-off show that's going to be in France. At least this one and why VPR worked is based on a group of friends that have solid real friendships. That's what makes these shows authentic. We can't watch fights about cheese or things that don't really matter because they're boring and they don't have any real substance. What we want to see is debacles and issues and conflict and even great times between people that have real genuine relationships and despite the fact that we don't know the majority of these couples on the valley i'm confident that we'll get to know them and i'm confident that we will enjoy them um i also want to mention nia sanchez who is one of the stars of the show she is an exit pageant queen and she is starting her own podcast where she will be discussing the valley as well so i'll also be listening to that because as you know guys i have to listen to a lot of podcasts just to give you guys content to complement the shows that we watch um about and then those podcasts are about those shows and sometimes they have information that i need to include for you guys so i will definitely be listening to nia sanchez's podcast as well but i'm really excited to see the valley so that's all we know so far about the valley and hopefully we'll get some more information before it airs defeats proof timeline screenshots 
Okay, let's get into the Real Housewives of Potomac. <sighs> I'm gonna sigh again just because it's getting so hard to watch, guys. And I really, I don't have a lot to say to you guys about the episode because not a lot happened. And I just don't see a point in going too deep into the details of the episode that were very unimportant. So I'll just give you a highlight. And then it was sort of the end of the episode that was the most important. So we'll get to that. Um, so Karen has her daughter, Raven. I don't know. I just actually realized this, that her daughter, Raven, like Raven is basically just named after her husband, Ray. It sort of reminds me of like Norman and Norma Bates, but that's cool. Um, so they go to get a tattoo together. They want to get a small G for Karen's mother, Georgia. Um, Raven is talking to the camera and saying that she's been doing fashion PR in New York and she loves it. And it's great to see that Raven is like shining and living her best life. Um, Karen volunteers Raven to meet with Grace, Giselle's daughter, to talk about going to college. So they go to do that. They have a good chat. Um, uh, what's her name? Sorry, Raven's advice is basically, you know, getting yourself there is 90% is of the battle. Um, getting yourself to college. And you don't have to have it all figured out when you get there. Um, so Candace decides to throw a Mother's Day brunch for all of the women. She doesn't invite Giselle and her daughters for obvious reasons. Um, she says she hasn't talked to Robin but wants to invite her. Then we have Mendy, or sorry, Wendy meeting with uh, talk show producers. She had mentioned in a couple of episodes ago that she wanted to start a daytime talk show. Um, she says to the cameras that she parted with her previous producer because that producer wanted 50% ownership of the show. And Wendy said that that was a red flag. She says that this is something that she's destined for. I will not be watching. Um... Then we have Neka talking a little bit about her family. She says that she and her sister were enemies as kids, but now they're super close. Um, she feels like she's sort of not caught up with her sister in terms of life, who has had three kids. Uh, she said that their dad grew up with nothing and that they've never been without anything. And he's a doctor and worked hard his whole life and he has high expectations for them. Um, another fun fact that came out of this, Giselle and Karen apparently met at uh, Jack and Jill, which is a black historical organization which brings together black children to teach to give back to the community. And Giselle apparently like entered the group and Karen was like, well, I, I need to keep her in. I need to keep her a part of my life. So I just thought that was interesting that that's how they how they met. Um, we see the Dixons go to the chiropractor, which is boring, completely uninteresting and a waste of my life. Um, then Candace decides to invite Robin to her Mother's Day brunch, which is great. Um, Robin says to her family that she's like surprised to be invited. She's fine coexisting, but Candace seems confused as to why they are where they are. Robin says she doesn't need anything from Candace, but she kind of needs to let her know that. Um, Ashley says that Mother's Day is really important to her because she only has a mom. She's so excited to be in the club now, and now her mom is acknowledging her as a mom and congratulating her, so it's nice to be recognized as a mother. So we go to the event for Candace's Mother's Day brunch. It's very floral and French and very beautiful. Um, Karen goes solo, um, but she says her mother's always there. Candace is happy to attempt a gathering. It's something that is common to all of us. Um, Mia also comes alone. She also, she makes mention that her mother had to work and she, she says like, my mom and I are good. I mean, she spends a lot of time with my sister and they go get many petties and they do all these things together, but, but, you know, we're good. If Mia were more of a main character or had more main character energy, or if I gave a shit about Mia, 
I would really see how much she's struggling this season. And this may have been a season she should have taken off. I mean, she's struggling in her marriage. She's struggling with um, the issue that happened with their business. She's struggling with her relationship with her mother, with her relationship with Jacqueline, and with her relationship within herself. So you can tell that she's really just trying to plow through this season the best that she can, but that she's really, really going through it. Um, so Candace feels like NECA may be playing a part into why Wendy didn't come to the event. So Wendy apparently wrote a book and she had a book release party and that's why she couldn't come. I did not know that she wrote a book. It's called like Tears of My Nigerian Upbringing or something. I, I'm curious to hear if it made the um, New York Times bestseller list. Um, so at the lunch, Candace is, or sorry, Sharice is there and she's talking to Mia and she says to Mia that she saw Jacqueline recently. Jacqueline was Mia's best friend. And she said that Jacqueline was actually crying talking about Mia. Um, Mia says that it's been a year since her and Jacqueline have spoken and that they were friends since they were 15. And she says it's not intentional. She just hasn't had the chance because she's been dealing with a lot. Obviously, it is intentional. I mean, we, we saw her explain a little bit more in last episode when she was talking about um, the assault that she experienced and how deep down she blames Jacqueline for it. Um, and she has this this resentment towards her, plus all the things that she's going through in her life. So I do think it's intentional. Um, Sharice also mentions that NECA met Jacqueline too on that day um, where they all had met up. Um, and NECA said that Jacqueline had gone on for two hours about Mia, about something she had said on Twitter and a guy she might have slept with at work, which is odd um, to go on and on to someone that you've never met before about someone who used to be your friend. Um, so that was sort of odd. Sharice asks Ashley when she's realistically going to sign the divorce papers. Ashley is like, you know, it's very emotional and it's final and, you know, like, I'll, I'll get there in my own time. And Sharice is like, obviously financially, she doesn't want to let go and he knows who he married. That was rude, um, but probably true. So let's get to the crux of the episode, which Robin and Candace finally meet for coffee to finally discuss their issues. And Candace says she hopes that there is still hope for them because she doesn't think that anything that has happened between them is that serious. So she asks Robin to explain to her why she is so upset. Robin says, this is, should be very obvious to you, but okay, you took to social media and other media platforms to spread lies and trash me for a personal decision that I made that had nothing to do with you. She's talking about the fact that she didn't discuss her issues with Juan on the show, which, you know, we've sort of been talking about this week to week in little bits where he met up with some girl at a hotel and paid for her hotel, but said he didn't sleep with her. And there was some other situation where he went with someone to get their nails done or something like that. Um, and then she ended up talking about it only on her podcast, Reasonably Shady, on her Patreon. Um, so then... Robin says that, like, once she saw on Twitter that, like, Candace was coming for her, to her, the friendship was done. And Candace said, I didn't say what I said to be offensive to you, Robin. And Robin is, is sort of saying, like, if you didn't mean to offend me, then, like, what did you want to do? And even if you didn't mean to offend me, who does that to their friends? And Candace is saying she didn't think anything of it because they all tweet about each other. And Robin is saying, listen, I'm not going to throw my husband under the bus for anyone's entertainment. She says that if while I'm filming a show, 
and an issue comes up that is no longer an issue, I'm not digging up an issue to make my husband look bad. And she also mentions that, like, when you talk to your friends about an issue you have, like with your husband, for example, and you decide to move on, your friends don't. And they keep bringing it back to you. So why would I do that to my husband? And Candace is like, well, we are on a show about our lives. And Robin is like, yeah, but there's a thin line between how much we share about our partners and ourselves. And then Robin explains that the biggest issue is you saying that, like, Ashley, Giselle, and I were in cahoots in a cover-up for one, and we're plotting on Chris. And Candace is like, well, it's just not like you to side with me and Chris. And then we have flashbacks to Robin siding with Candace, where she's saying, I really don't think Chris did anything wrong. He didn't touch her inappropriately. It's not a big deal. And Candace is saying, like okay, well, I think you knew what Giselle was planning to do. And Robin is saying, no, I didn't do that. And Candace is like, well, it's disgusting they're even friends with someone who would do something like this for lunch and then go to bed. And Candace is like, well, you know, like birds of a feather flock together. And, you know, you're kind of making the way I feel, you're making it about you. And Robin is like, you know, you're taking, what you're re not realizing is the things that you're saying out there, people are taking that as fact. And Candace is like, you are putting the way you would react on me, and that's just not the way I choose to move. And Robin was like, okay, if you think that I am able to lie in your husband, you should not want to be my friend. You should never speak to me again. And then basically gets up and leaves. So then we had uh, Watch What Happens that night with Candace, and she said that everyone was thrown off by Robin's decision to go behind the paywall and discuss the one stuff on her podcast and not on the show. She says that Robin has done worse and she can get over it. All right, so let's dive into this a little bit. I don't have any information or insight or the time to like go back and look into tweets to see if anyone else is tweeting similar things, anyone else on the cast, because it seems like what Candace is saying is like, everyone on the cast was talking shit about you guys online, so why are you just mad at me? But we haven't seen any evidence of that happening. Also, Candace, you're supposed to be Robin's friend, so why are you tweeting about her? Why are you talking shit about her online? Like, if you really are her friend, despite whether or not this is a show, um, why are you coming for your friend so hard? She made a decision. She decided what she wanted to do. That being said, it is odd that Robin is saying, you know, like, I understand what she's saying, where she's like, okay, you know, all of these issues had come up, not while we were filming. So why would I, like, bring it up on the show and dig it up once we have already moved through it? Totally understand that. And she said, like, why would I want to drag down my husband? Why would I want to hurt my husband? Totally understand that. But you did talk about it. We wouldn't have known about it. You did decide to talk about it by going onto your own um, podcast. And like Candace said, you went behind the paywall, which means that people had to pay to listen to that episode on your Patreon. So you're not really against throwing your husband under the bus because you did talk about it, um, but you just wanted people to pay to hear it. The other interesting part about this conversation was just, I love, love, love a good fourth wall break. So the fact that they were just even discussing the fact that we are on a show and we're supposed to show our lives and you're not showing enough of your life. I, I just love it. I just love when we can forget or we can acknowledge, sorry, that this is a show. Um, I don't really know what to say going forward about Potomac. I mean, we keep kind of talking about this. Where do we go from here? Um, I don't think that there's any room for Candace or Robin to be friends again. And I do kind of agree with Robin on that last point where she says, like, if you think that I plotted against your husband and if you think that I was involved in some sort of way or you think that I'm a bad person for being friends with a dirtbag like Giselle who did something she shouldn't have done, 
why would you want to be friends with me? And I agree. You know, like Candace isn't really giving us anything here. If she truly believes all of that, I wouldn't want to be friends with Robin either. So I don't know if she genuinely wants her friendship back with Robin or she's realizing that that's her only way to sort of stay on the show at this point because she really doesn't have any other connections besides a little bit of Wendy. Um, so that's it for Potomac. Name them. That what? Name them. Well, name what you em. did was ridiculous. Name them. Uh, not having. Name uh, well, be quiet. So name let em. me talk, Jesus. Okay, guys, let's get into Rachel Goes Rogue. There is not a lot here because she did not give us a lot here. Okay, so this is episode three, and basically this entire episode is Rachel talking to a psychiatrist, or sorry, a clinical psychologist that she had on, whose name I did not catch, about why she smiles all the time. So this was feedback that she had gotten about the podcast, that she's constantly laughing and smiling about things that aren't funny, and she wants to know why she does this. Um... The psychologist talks about how people have different behaviors when being confronted with taking on hard stuff, like laughing and smiling. I mean, some people laugh at funerals, right? Like, it's not that odd. And I really didn't think we need a whole episode to explain that your anxiety is the reason that you're smiling so much. Um, I don't know where to go from here in terms of this podcast, right? Like, what is it? That's the thing. Like, what are you? First, it seemed like it was going to be a podcast in long form detailing her relationship with Sandoval, which I was down for. I want to hear it. So the first episode, she gives us basically nothing, then gives us some pretty good tea in episode two. And now this episode is just sort of about, I guess, a little bit about her mental health specifically. Um, we did get a little bit from it, just how, you know, she was very codependent previously and in her relationship with James was so volatile um, she thinks that the codependency that she had in that previous relationship carried over to her relationship with Tom and the psychiatrist totally agrees. Um, she says that she's not dating for a year to focus on herself and her emotions. And she talks to the, psycho the uh, clinical psychologist about how the entertainment industry could be a place for people seeking validation. And it's a feedback loop that is both positive and negative. And she's sort of putting herself back in that validation circle by putting herself back into the industry. I do understand that about the entertainment industry. I used to do stand up and I can definitely say the majority of the people I did stand up with um had a lot of insecurities and suffered from depression and there's a lot that you can get from the entertainment industry especially in stand-up where you can get some really high highs and some really low lows um but anyways back to what this is i don't know if she's getting some advice from bethany about like really milking things and dragging them out to the longest extent possible but i am really 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 annoyed that i have listened to this many podcasts from her, from Tom, reading Ariana's book, whatever, or listening to all these people on podcasts, and I've still gotten so little additional information about the actual relationship. We know about day one, we know about Mexico, and we know about the end, but what about all the stuff in between? Are you going to get to that, Rachel? And is that what this podcast is? Or is it about your mental health? Or is it about interviewing other people who have been shamed publicly? What is this podcast? But it does seem like she's getting some advice to, you know, keep it different, keep it moving um, and bring in all these different aspects. But there's just like no central theme or linear 
ness to this podcast whatsoever. I'm only listening for you guys and also a little for myself just to see if we ever do get some more information about the affair. But as of now, I, I don't know what this podcast is, what its intent is to be. Um, and I wonder if she's going to discuss that. I also wonder how long this podcast is going to go on for, given that it just doesn't have any sense of actual direction. So that is it on Rachel Goes Rogue for the week. Defeats! Proof! Timeline! Screenshots! Okay, let's get into news of the week, and there is quite a bit. So The Real Housewives of New York is filming again, probably without Jenna Lyons, and we haven't heard anything about an, any additional casting or anyone else leaving, and this is all the information I have on Roni. So apparently it is filming again, probably without Jenna Lyons, and it's filming now. Um, Anne-Marie, our, our precious Anne-Marie from The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, our resident nurse anesthetist, um... Someone is coming for her, and that someone is the American Anesthesiology Association. So the American Anesthesiology Association posted um, on Instagram the difference between an anesthesiologist and a nurse anesthetist, and captioned, The Real Housewives know a fake. Anesthesiologists are medical doctors with more than 12 years of higher education and up to 16 hours of clinical training. Title misappropriation has no place in healthcare. Then Anne-Marie responded to the association with the following post. I do not condone the ASA's defamation campaign. I am a CRNA, a certified registered nurse anesthetist. I'm extremely proud of my profession. I will not be accused of title misappropriation because a castmate needed a storyline on a reality TV show. This is my real life and my career. I am not an anesthesiologist, nor have I ever claimed to be one. I have immense respect for physician anesthesiologists, and I ask the ASA and other anesthesiologists show respect to CRNAs as well. This type of unhealthy discourse only causes friction and professional division. Political issues exist between physicians, physician anesthesiologists, and CRNAs, which explains their current attack on me and the CRNA profession. Our goal as anesthesia providers should always be working together in order to best serve our patients, not competing with one another. My aim is to educate the public on who CRNAs are and anesthesia care to those who we serve. Then she made another post that said, The esophagus storyline was not funny. Watching the show back now, I hate that storyline just as much as everyone else. I would be mad at me too. It was a line of questioning I should have never started. And for that, I sincerely apologize. That storyline was unauthentically dragged on for far too long, and I have been dragged through the mud in the process. I just want to highlight the real in reality TV. So this is interesting because we all hate Anne-Marie, <laughs> because all she talks about is Sutton's esophagus. Um... She's also discussing here um, how there's like some conflict and discourse, I guess, between nurses and doctors um, in terms of providing care and, and, and the respect level. And this definitely should not have brought on that situation. Um, and it's interesting that they even posted this because it wasn't Anne-Marie herself who had openly said, I'm an anesthesiologist on the show. It was Crystal at the very end of last week's episode of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills saying in a call to Garcelle that when she met um, Anne-Marie a couple months prior, Anne-Marie said that she was an anesthesiologist. Um, and this is just hearsay, right? And the words are quite confusing. For me, I used to do some work involving medical terminology, so I'm a little bit more familiar with the terms, but I could totally see how if Anne-Marie had said, I'm a nurse anesthetist, that um, 
Crystal might have heard anesthesiologist. The two terms are very similar and a little confusing. And despite the fact that apparently um, Crystal's sister is an anesthesiologist, it was probably just a mishearing of it and that sort of it. But it's interesting that Anne-Marie talks about the storyline being unauthentically dragged on for far too long. So it does seem like we are seeing an obscene amount of content about esophagus gate. That being said, the content wouldn't exist if you didn't say it, right? So it, to her, she's saying it's being dragged out, but at the same time, you're providing the content. You're bringing it up, and it wouldn't be on the show, or there wouldn't be more to talk about if you didn't continuously bring it up. That being said, I just want to bring one thing to light. So I don't know if y'all remember Rachel Lindsay. She was The Bachelorette some years ago. She was initially on Nick Vile season, and then she became the first African-American Bachelorette. Um, she is on a podcast called Morally Corrupt on the Ring of Reality feed, and she is actually good friends with Anne-Marie. Rachel Lindsay is currently going through a divorce um, from her husband that she met on The Bachelor, Brian F. Solo, and she said that Anne-Marie has been a really great friend to her and has been really checking on her during all the hard times that she's going through. And Rachel mentioned that like maybe a lot of the scenes that she had, Anne-Marie, for example, uh, with her family or other things that she was filming were, especially with the family, may have been taken out because there are accusations right now against her husband, Marcellus. Um, a sexual assault that may have occurred like 20 years ago in college or something like that so because of that it's possible that the show had taken out these scenes and maybe all she had left was esophagus gate but it was really interesting to hear rachel say that um given that we haven't really heard from anyone who is a genuine friend of Anne marie and rachel is saying that this is just not reflective of the person that i know and that that is what reality tv does right um, in Real Housewives of Salt Lake City news, a Utah judge has officially dismissed Monica's lawsuit on January 17th. So after reviewing all corresponding pleadings, the court dismissed her case since her claim is time barred by the statute of limitations and Monica failed to obtain a certificate of compliance from the Division of Professional Licensing. The court further stated that a hearing on the motion would not be helpful since the law is clear and straightforward in the matter. Heather's Beauty Lab and Laser lawsuit against Monica is still active. So as you'll recall, um, once Heather had realized it was Monica who was Reality Montees and that she had three different accounts at Beauty Lab and Laser, one of which she had not paid, Heather's uh, company, Beauty Lab and Laser, sued Monica, and then Monica filed a counter suit, which has now been dismissed. So I thought this was interesting, the reasoning for it being the statute of limitations, because I don't know if um, you guys are aware of what that means, but it means basically like you can't um, make a claim of a, or even a crime, for example, like it could be a civil issue or a criminal issue after a certain amount of time um, and different crimes have different statutes of limitations. I just don't really understand why her lawyer, because obviously her lawyer would be filing the countersuit, why her lawyer would file a countersuit if time had been barred by the statute of limitations obviously the lawyer would know about the statute of limitations and if the time had passed it wouldn't make sense for her lawyer to file a countersuit and it would actually be kind of embarrassing to be a lawyer that does not know that so i thought that was sort of interesting um and then on tuesday night was the uh part three of the real housewives of salt lake city reunion i did say i was not going to get into it because we are in the reunions, but there is still a lot of news going on in, in Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, so I will get into a little bit about it um, and what I know. 
So a few hours before the reunion aired, we got news that Monica was fired and not returning to Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. Then we heard that there was two new rumored castmates already in the works. There is Amelie Workman and Brittany Bateman. And this was reported by All About the Real Housewives. Then we hear that she's not fired, but she's being put on pause. Um, before I get into the episode, and I'm just putting it in this news section because, as I said, I'm not doing a full recap. I just want to express a few points. There was a really cool article that was published this week by The Hollywood Reporter. They interviewed Noah Sampton, who is a Real Housewives of Salt Lake City producer, and Lori Gordon, the showrunner. And I just want to highlight a few questions and answers that came out of this interview, because there's still so many questions that we have about Salt Lake, and I feel like this answered a few of them. So the Hollywood Reporter asked, um, did you know as the finale was unfolding what a phenomenon it was going to be? Noah Sampton said, I certainly didn't know. Lori called the network after that Bermuda weekend and was just gushing about this amazing situation that had unfolded and how incredible it was and shocking. I was just totally confused by exactly what had happened and trying to understand. I didn't get it. Then Lori Gordon says, the way Heather found out that day, it was such a rush and it was so sudden and she was processing a lot. When she told me what she had found out, we knew that she had to tell the women, Lisa, Whitney, and Meredith specifically, and we knew it was big. The girls had no idea about Monica. I had no idea. Shed and Bravo, nobody had any idea. Heather had gotten that call that last day. She was really flustered and upset. And as she started to process that out loud with me privately, it became, well, then that's how we're going to tell the story and the viewers should really go along for the same ride as she did. Did we know that it was going to be huge? I think we knew that it was going to be shocking to the cast. So because they were so shocked by it, it was almost inevitable that the viewers would be too, because it was just a ride. The last 24 hours was just crazy. Um, the question then is asked, how much in casting are you dependent upon potential housewives being reliable narrators of their own lives, and how much are you background checking? Noah Sampton said, we do extensive background checking on cast, but a fake profile troll account wouldn't come up. There's no record of that account through her name. So yeah, there are things that can slip through and do, and it's certainly not something we love when we have a surprise like that. It turned out, well, I guess, creatively for the end of the season. But it was pretty shocking for all of us, and certainly we would not have brought Monica on the show in the first place if we knew that that was going on. Then the question is asked, what happened behind the scenes after the dinner? Lori Gordon says, we kept the women separate. I just sat with Monica for an hour in silence. Not even kidding. Didn't even talk. She just cried. I think it was a real wake-up call for her. She kept saying, I'm so embarrassed. She flew out with me on a separate flight and some other of the crew the next morning. Then the question's asked, where did the idea come from to set a Real Housewives in Salt Lake City? Noah Sampton said it originally came to Bravo through the original cast member, Mary Cosby. Somebody had discovered her as a great character. She was pitched, and we started to find other characters along with her. Once the development team started to dig in and meet people there, they realized that it was just such a hotbed of interesting, unique personalities. It wasn't planned as a housewife show. We kind of just fell into it. I went out to Salt Lake with our development team and other executives at the time, Shiana Mix, and we all met the women. I'd already been blown away by the casting tape that I saw, and every woman that I met was even better in person. We met everybody for drinks at a bar, and then Shiana and I left, and the housewives all stayed there. And then we heard all these stories the next day where a huge argument broke out and somebody got thrown out of a bar. They were housewives already before we even started filming them. I think that's really funny. Um, so that's really interesting. Um, so we have now the producers for sure saying we did not know about Reality Montees. Okay. So if we're assuming that that is true, um, 
that really speaks to the episode because in the final episode, so in the first two episodes, we got nothing in terms of Monica explaining herself. We got a lot of just content from the rest of the season that nobody really cared about. But something I did sort of take away from the first couple of episodes was Andy really seeming sympathetic to Monica, um, you know, asking about her mom and her history and all of these things and really trying to give her some grace. And then in this episode, you know, he's giving her the opportunity. He's like, tell your side of the story. Even at the end of the episode, he said, like, if there's, is there anything else that you want to say? Is there anything else that you want to explain? This is your time. And she just seemed so defeated and just said, like, no. But her arguments were just not making sense in this episode. So for, so, for example, she says that she told production in one of her castings, like the first one she did, that she was Reality Bontees. And I love when Andy does this, where he sort of shuts someone down as opposed to just saying oh well we don't really know he shut this down and he was like if we knew that you were running a burner account we would not have hired you boom (laughs) really and all she said was okay i mean if this were true then she should have said i spoke to this person on this date but she didn't give any of that right um she was talking about driving by Jen's house and the women are telling her that, you know, that's a crime. And she's like, no, people drive by their ex's homes all the time. I'm pretty sure that stalking is a crime, but regardless, it's like not cool. And it's very weird. Um, I just don't understand her obsession with Jen in that sense. I mean, I understand that you think or that you started this account because you wanted to expose her. But the FBI was already doing that. Like, they don't really need your help specifically in running this troll account. She also made some comments in terms of, like, driving by Jen's house that, like, the FBI asked her to, that they wanted Monica to try to catch her drinking and driving. None of that makes sense. The FBI would not be doing that. And she has way bigger crimes that she has committed that they are or were investigating at the time then to see if maybe she would drink and drive like none of that literally makes any sense and then there was the security system um that was set up in jen's house and this came up because during the season monica had said something to lisa about like oh i know all you care about is flying on private jets with snoop dogg and lisa's saying i never said that to you that's something i had said to jen in like a call or in like the privacy of her own home or something to that effect. I sort of missed that part. I've only watched the episode once and normally I watch them three times. Um, and Monica says, um, well, like I bought the security system for Jen's house and it was under my name. Therefore like gives me the right. It doesn't, it's so creepy and weird that you installed a security system in her home and then we're listening in. I mean, okay. And then, okay, I'm just going to move aside from, from all of this from the episode just to say this. Oh, and then at the end, we hear that she's on pause. So at the end of the episode and then on Watch What Happens Live, Andy confirms that Monica is on pause. And we don't know if it's a Dorinda-style pause where they're going to bring her back at some point, um, but they're not calling it fired. Um, what we got was that we're they're starting to film relatively soon. Um, what I heard was that production of season five begins on February 5th. And Lori Gordon, the showrunner, says that the door is not entirely closed to Garcia. She said, never say never. You never know. Um, and then in terms of the finale, um, Lisa Shannon um, at Shed Media also said, a lot of Monica's life didn't add up. Monica said she was divorced, but she would text her husband every day. She'd send him sexy selfies. She would tell us what he was saying to her, and it felt like he was very much in her life. So that part, I didn't want to question, because I know every divorce is different, but I certainly wasn't sending my husband sexy selfies when I was divorcing him. So that was the first thing. Um, There's so many. Uh, She also says, 
you have to know that when we knew Monica as Jen's assistant, she went by Wellesley May. Jen called her Wellesley May. We didn't even know her name was Monica. So we had to make that connection months after meeting her, and we never discussed her relationship with Jen. We didn't even really know the extent of her relationship with Den Jen until we watched the episodes and heard her confessionals. Jen was a taboo topic, and we just glossed over it. And then we dug deeper, and soon reality reality bonties might have been discovered earlier. Sorry, had we had dug deeper and sooner, reality bonties might have been discovered earlier, and that's true. So here's where we are. Despite her being on pause, or uh, this conversation has continuously been happening about whether she should return. So despite despite the fact that she's on pause, let's discuss it regardless. Here's the issue: she did something that, while not as deceptive as Jen, and not necessarily a criminal act. This show, and as Heather says on Watch What Happens Live, is about a group of friends and a relationship between a group of friends. If there is a woman in that group who the other women cannot trust and they deem to be deceitful and are scared of, essentially, scared that this woman is going to be spilling all their secrets and posting about them online, there's no room for her in the group. The group is about friendship, spending time together, sharing secrets, sharing their lives. And if no one feels comfortable sharing their life with you because they don't trust you, there's no show. Or sorry, there's no you on the show. However, I do think Monica was great casting. I do think she was good for the show. I think she brought it back to life. I think that she would have had a chance if somehow this could have stayed under wraps for longer. Like how she says that Gossip Girl couldn't stay Gossip Girl forever. Yeah, but Gossip Girl went on for many seasons, right? Like if there had been a way where Heather had not figured this out and Monica had kept this going for a few seasons and then in season seven we find out she's reality bonteese, yeah, that would be pretty cool. But with the way things stand, there is no spot for her. At the same time, I think she's actually really brought this group back together because we had the tension with Meredith and Lisa for so long and with Whitney and Heather for so long. But a common enemy brings people together and there's nothing that brought these people together more so than their mutual hatred of Monica and their fear of Monica. So these four women, these four OGs who were so initially divided are now going to be able to do a show together and are going to be able to come back together. So while Monica was good for the show in that sense, or in many senses, she's not going to be good going forward, but she did play a huge role in bringing these women back together and therefore giving us a future of this show. So I'm happy she was there. I don't know if I care if she'll ever come back in future. I think the pause thing is just a word. I don't think we'll see her again, but I'm glad she was there in the first place. Um, what else do we have in the news? Oh, Hannah Burner, previously on Summer House, gets a Netflix comedy special, which is really, really cool. She was named as one of Variety's 10 comics to watch in 2023. It'll be an hour-long special taping in PA on March the 23rd. Hannah says, this is probably the coolest thing that has ever happened to me. Um, I actually saw her Giggly Squad live performance with Paige, and it was honestly one of the funniest things I have ever seen in my life. I haven't seen Hannah do stand-up um, separately on her own, but given what I saw on Giggly Squad, I can only imagine how hilarious this is going to be, and I cannot wait to watch. Um, in Real Housewives of OC News, Shannon Bedore was seen filming with Jen Pedranti, so we know that Jen is coming back this season, and we also saw her with Archie, so we hope we get to see a little bit of Archie this season. 
Alexis Bellino, um, in her next thirsty move, posted a pic of a dog and wrote, Meet Banks at John W. Jansen Fur Baby. I love him as much as I love his dad. So Banks will be gracing my OG also, as he's part of this crazy love story. He's now my fur baby too. Thankfully, he's been well taken care of while Johnny and I have been celebrating my B-Day at a staycation at Surf and Laguna. So much fun and so much love to share from this weekend and the pics soon to come. And I'm beyond thankful going into this year 47 years wiser and i'm beyond thankful this thirdly this thirdly okay i'm beyond thankful for you john w jansen hashtag you are my best gift she is so much i don't know her from the oc because i didn't watch the show back then but you've been dating this man for like eight weeks this is so weird and this is so high school to be like i love you and i love him he's my baby too and this is just so bizarre to me um but I do hear she's coming back to the season, so we're going to have some good content here. We're going to have some good fights on OC. Uh, Jeff Lewis said on Watch What Happens Live that he's supposed to be filming a scene with Shannon for The Real Housewives of OC, and Andy was like, you could have just not shared that and kept that a secret. But that's Jeff Lewis always saying things he's not supposed to say. Um, so that'll be interesting to see. That's it for Real Housewives of OC News. Um, Love is Blind is coming back for season six. It's set to air on Netflix on February 14th. I really, really enjoy this show. Um, there are There is so much going on with this show in terms of lawsuits and um, all of these issues with Evolution and uh, the media company. Um, I have reached out to Natalie and Deep D on their podcast, Out of the Pods, and asked the question if they think that all of these lawsuits and all of these legal issues are going to affect the longevity of the show. And they said that they don't really think so because so many seasons have been filmed in advance. So my understanding is that season six, seven, and eight have already been filmed. I don't know if you guys watched the show, but you may recall last season and season five that the season was actually shot a year and a half prior. So it's so interesting when we finally have the reunion, how much time has passed and how much has changed. Um, Zach, I don't remember his last name, and Caitlin Bristow from The Bachelorette have been seen together canoodling and possibly dating. So the first sign of them was on New Year's Eve. They were seen together um, at the same party and people were speculating. Zach was previously engaged to Tasia Adams and Tasia Adams and Caitlin Bristow co-hosted The Bachelor and Bachelorette um, right after Chris Harrison was fired. I think they did two seasons. So it could be assumed or I thought that Caitlin and Tasia were friends. Um, as we all know, Tasia is dating Luke Gulbranson from Summer House, and she has been for a while. And when word had sort of come out about something possibly happening with Zach and Caitlin, Tasia had posted a photo saying, uh, no problems here, and posting from the beach. So I don't know if she has an issue with it. I don't know for sure if Caitlin and Zach are together, but there have been a few more sightings of them together. I would have to assume, though, knowing um, the stand-up woman that Caitlin is, that if she is with Zach, that she would have had a conversation with Tasha to make sure it was okay with her first. Um, other news is that there will be no Winter House in 2024. Um, no reasoning why, no additional information, just apparently no Winter House in 2024. Other news is just that you should watch The Traders. <laughs> this show is so good. Season two is... Uh, season one, I didn't watch, but it was a mixture of reality stars and regular people. And season two is all reality stars, and they're from so many different shows. We've got Housewives shows, we've got Big Brother, Survivor, Bling Empire, The Bachelor, Dancing with the Stars. <clears throat> such such a 
plethora of different backgrounds. And it's so interesting to watch your favorite housewives sort of outside of their natural habitat and how other people on other shows or just people in general perceive them. And, you know, the housewives, how we want to give them a lot more credit than, than they're worth, right? I mean, like, they know how to deceive, they know how to plot, they know how to lie, and this show has just been so interesting. You would think that, so Larsa's on the show, you would think that she would be someone who would sort of be quiet and sort of stay in the background as she brought her boyfriend Marcus, just so they could always be attached at the hip as per their separation anxiety, but she really played the game, and she played it well, and she was calling out certain people that she had perceived as traitors and she wasn't wrong um she just had more of a more like ground to stand on than i thought she was she always just seemed to sort of be more of a follower on the shows that i've seen her on than a leader um the vpr premiere party happened last week so this was just like a big party in la a bunch of people were invited and not me um to watch the first episode and to hang out with the cast so that was pretty cool Bryce Sanders, who I think works for Entertainment Tonight, conducted interviews with the cast. Um, he talked to Lala, and Lala had said, well, this will apparently happen in the first episode, that she reaches out to Rachel. And Lala tells Bryce Sanders that she reached out to Rachel to apologize because she realized that she had been isolated by Sandoval, and Lala had felt that she needed, or that Rachel needed to come back and apologize once the dust had settled. However, she says that if she had seen Bethany's podcast, she wouldn't have reached out to her. Um, she said to not come back and to do a podcast instead is a lame decision, and she was ill-advised. Lisa was also interviewed. She says that Tom Sandoval endured a lot this season. She said that in the trailer, she called Jax a hypocrite, and sometimes he needs to be put in his place. Um, Allie was asked about Rachel not coming back to the season, sorry, Allie and James, and about how Hippie had ended up back with them, Hippie, previously Graham. Allie said that she understands not coming back to the show, but she makes a statement that, like, and this is this is true, when you surrender your dog, you don't get a say in what happens to him. James really hasn't said much um, since Scandaball broke. He's really never talked about his relationship with her, what they had in common, what they talked about, whether their relationship was real. It could just be, like, part of who he is, you know, like how he takes care of Allie, and that's just part of who James is as a person. He's maybe the kind of person when it comes to previous relationships. I just don't speak about that a lot. But he did really want to say something here. And he said that he doesn't listen to podcasts, but he did hear what she said about Hippie and that it wasn't accurate. He's saying that Lisa didn't come out of nowhere to be like, oh, I'm going to adopt this dog and give it to James. And that um, Hippie was about to be euthanized. So about the euthanization. Rachel has said that Hippie was not about to be euthanized. And I guess maybe we'll see this on the show. I don't know if we'll actually get to see the rescue reaching out to Lisa, but my understanding was that the rescue was reaching out to Lisa for money um, to get Graham slash Hippie a new trainer. This concept of dogs constantly being um, at, at the grips of, of euthanasia, it's going to happen any second, is not that accurate. Um, a lot of most places actually don't euthanize dogs, especially um, this Golden Doodle Rescue. I will look into it to be absolutely sure, because I believe that I did look into this Golden Doodle Rescue way back when this information had come out, but I don't think that Hippie Graham was going to be euthanized. That being said, I do agree with James and a little bit with Lisa in terms of whether Lisa's using this as a storyline. Like, yeah, I do think Lisa wanted to use this as a storyline and maybe to lure Rachel back. But at the same time, it did happen while the season was filming. Graham bit Rachel, or Rachel's mom, and then they drove him to the Golden Doodle Rescue. And then the Golden Doodle Rescue contacted 
um, Lisa Vanderpump, and she got him, brought him to Lake Tahoe, and gave him back to James, and this will all play out in season 11, um, but that's the point. It all plays out in season 11 because it all happened during filming. If it hadn't have happened during filming, it wouldn't have been able to be a storyline, right? So there's that point as well. Um, Sheena says to Bryce Anders that she did not make out with Schwartz and that it didn't affect her relationship with Katie. So this is getting annoying because we have been getting so much back and forth on whether or not they made out. But I guess this is just going to be one of those things where we're just going to have to wait and see. Um, Schwartz says that he and Sandoval have the longest standing relationship on Vanderpump Rules. And that is that is true. That is sad, but that is true. Lala says that her biggest fear is to have a troll or a fan troll come on VPR because of what happened with Monica Garcia on The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. So that's why she's very selective of who comes into the group. And that makes a lot of sense. Um, Adam Newell, who does the podcast Up and Adam with his husband, Jason, he used to he and his husband, Jason, used to work at a lot of Lisa and Ken's restaurants. They worked at Pump. They worked at TomTom. And on his podcast, he said that he was at the premiere party and someone who used to work for Lisa, who's a pretty reliable person, said that Lisa is divorcing Ken. Um, Adam thought this was very strange. And the vibe that he got that night was that they were completely good. So I'm just bringing this up as potential news or a potential rumor, but um, it's it's unlikely. Um, we also have a little bit going on with the Real Housewives Ultimate Girls trip um, and Brandy, but not the Monaco season, but the season two at Dorinda's Bluestone Manor. So as you know, the butler, Marco Vega, is suing Brandy, Phaedra, and Bravo TV. He claims that Brandy sexually harassed him and no one did anything to stick up for him. I think they had opened his shirt and maybe touched his chest. Um, he claimed producers encouraged Brandy to become drunk on the set so that she would be more likely to commit outrageous harassing acts. Bravo has now responded with the plaintiff's vague allegation that he told producers that he was being sexually harassed by Glanville lacks any specificity, including when he made when he allegedly made this statement to whom and how they responded, the motion reads. In addition, John Paparazzo, the showrunner and one of the executive producers of the season, said, I was present and observed the cast for the entirety of the burlesque show event and dinner that evening, including the portion of the evening where the plaintiff danced with various members of the cast. Based on my observations that evening, the plaintiff seemed to be having a good time laughing and participating during the event. He added, I did not see anyone touch plaintiff on his genitals or any other private area, nor did anyone ever report such conduct to me or, to my knowledge, anyone else associated with the show. A judge has yet to rule on Bravo and Shed Media's motion to dismiss. So there are a lot of different opinions on this. Um, when this first came out, the understanding was that Marco's girlfriend was like upset after watching it and that's when he um, decided to make these allegations it's also interesting that he's making allegations that producers encourage Brandy to become drunk so that she would be more likely to commit these acts I mean nobody can make anyone do anything and it's so weird in my opinion to sue the the production company and not I mean he is suing Brandy as well I believe but to make these claims that a company made a person do something Thing that made them more likely to do the bad harassing thing that seems like a stretch um i do think this will be thrown out um but i guess we'll see where that goes oh you guys i totally forgot to talk about um heather and the black eye um from the salt lake reunion okay so we just got to get into that so 
we thought we were going to get a reveal here from Heather as to how the black eye happened. All she basically says is that Jen gave her the black eye, neither of them know how they happened, and then there's this footage that they show of um, Jen and Heather having an apparent conversation about it where she's apologizing and that's about it, but the audio was mumbled, so Heather is saying what the audio had said. And that's basically it. And Andy is sort of coming at her a bit, rightfully so, to take accountability. He's like, you made up all these stories where you were, like, blaming producers and blaming it on, like, the legalities and liability of this Airbnb. And she's like, no, I know. But, like, it was a joke. So she she's saying that, like, she made a joke where, like, she was saying, oh, maybe it was, like, a hot producer. Like, but she doubled down for quite a bit and you know, Andy sort of saying, like, you put people's jobs in jeopardy, like, in production by, like, saying this kind of stuff. Um, and then a Watch What Happens Live, uh, we got a little bit more. So, um, you know, she says, I felt like an exclamation point on all of the progress I've made in the past year and a half. I feel like I'm a completely different person now. I think that's what enabled me to confront Monica. That's what gave me the boundaries that forced me to say, I'm not going to take this type of friendship in my life anymore. And it was really was a nice way for me to have to finally have a voice because I was so dedicated to just being a good friend because it felt insurmountable, the things she was facing and I was too deep in it for so long. And had she been on the reunion couch, I would have said the same thing, obviously referring to Jen. And that felt really good to me. And that it wasn't just that she was in prison. It wasn't just that I was safe now. It was I was a different person now. And I had boundaries now that I didn't have before. So it seems like, wow, Jen had a major influence on Heather. And we got some information from the Bravo docket. Um, who reported to us weekly, maybe a week or two ago, that the reason Heather might have kept this under wraps was because um, while Jen was already charged with a crime, she's legally not allowed to commit other crimes or something in that regard, probably more legalese, but I think that was the general gist. Um, so aside from, from that information, you know, I just thought it was sort of interesting that there was this footage and like, yeah, it might be muffled or mumbled, but like there are experts who can read lips and, and decipher video and like can zoom in on audio and things like that. And if production had conducted a full investigation, which they did, I don't understand why this actually wasn't discovered because first we heard there was no video. But if this video existed, why it wasn't investigated thoroughly? And by investigated thoroughly, I mean like a forensic test being done of this video slash audio. And the one last thing I'll say on Salt Lake is just that LD Millionaire tweeted, as we all know, Monica's mom, after the reunion, Ahem, welcome to the club. This is what was done to me. Selective clips, not letting me talk, not inviting me to the reunion to set the record straight. Hashtag Real Housewives of Salt Lake City Reunion. Why, why would you come to speak? This isn't about you. Anyways, that's it for news of the, the week. And My that's God, why, you why go is it about on. the damn pasta? Get over the damn pasta, read between the f***ing lines. It ain't about the pasta. It's not about the pasta. It's not about the pasta. 
Okay, guys, I'm actually going to end it here today and not do Beverly Hills because this episode is already over an hour and I don't want it to be too cumbersome to listen to. So what I'm going to do is a bonus episode that will be released on Friday that will cover just The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills and The Real Housewives of Miami. So I promise to get your content. So listen to this episode for all the topics that you know, we've talked about today, um, but we've still got some Real Housewives to listen to for later in the week, okay, guys? So don't worry. Um, Listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, iHeart, or wherever you get your podcasts. And again, subscribe to my YouTube channel at I Take Bravo Very Seriously. Uh, Follow me on TikTok at Brunch and Bravo or, and on Instagram at Brunch and Bravo and at I Take Bravo Very Seriously. And until next time, keep taking Bravo very seriously.